Good morning again. Uh, if you're visiting with us here, the, we take a big chunk in the middle of our time of worship to focus our attention on the Bible, on the Scriptures, because we believe that in them, God shows us what life with Him looks like. Uh, we've been actually spending the last three months working through what was called the farewell discourse. Jesus at the Last Supper talking to His disciples, anticipating His death and resurrection, which puts us in an unusual place for this morning. Um, this morning we're going to continue, actually we're going to finish out that series by preaching out of John chapter 16. Um, and so if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there, I would invite you to do so. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. There it is, it's page 877 in a Black Pew Bible if you want to follow along. What we actually have here is Jesus anticipating that he's about to go to the cross, that he's about to die, and that he's about to rise again. And we actually get to see how Jesus frames his resurrection. How does Jesus prepare his disciples for the reality that he's about to rise from the dead? And what does that resurrection life look like? So, it's odd that we're going to look at a text before the resurrection to celebrate after the resurrection just get in a time machine and work with it. It'll work out in the end, hopefully. So, Suze, would you please come and share with us from John chapter 16. Thanks be to God. So here we are on Easter Sunday morning. And I say to you, Christ is risen. And you reply, And this is reason for great joy. You heard it in the text that Suze just read. Jesus is talking all about joy. He says, You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He uses the illustration of a woman giving birth that has pain, but when her baby's born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, Jesus says, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. So here we are, celebrating the resurrection, and we are filled with joy. How many of us are faking it? And I don't even mean that in a mean way, like an accusation when I say how many of us are faking it. I mean, there are days when it is hard to conjure a joyful spirit. Is, it, is that not true? There are days when life seems to gang up on us and say, no joy today, no joy for you. <laughs> I mean, here we are, it's Easter. We know we're supposed to feel joy. And so we reach down deep within and we try to like manufacture it on our own somehow. And we, we plaster an almost genuine smile on our face so that we can come to church because these external triggers, these external signs like it's Easter says we should feel joyful. These things call for joy. But sometimes we pretend. Maybe it's not even just this morning, right? Maybe it's kind of a good description of being a Christian a lot of the time. You know, you're supposed to be rejoice in the Lord always. And again, Paul says rejoice. You know, we're supposed to find joy in Christ. We're supposed to find satisfaction and gladness in Him. But more often than not, this joy is a little fractured. 
This joy is not really the joy of the Lord, it's the joy of Tim. As I'm trying to, to, to make myself joyful because I'm supposed to be joyful. If we're honest, however, that's more of an exercise of denial than of joy. Pretending everything's okay. Pretending to be happy. And that's miserable. And it shows. Right? It's, it's taping on a plastic rose to the bush. It's when people get close to you, they notice this is not joy. Forget about other people. You look in the mirror and you say, this is not joy. You notice. And it gets old really fast. You want a life of joy. And Jesus keeps talking about this life of joy over and over again. You want life to the full just as Jesus promised us. You want no one to be able to take away your joy. And in our text this morning, an unusual text, again, because this is before the crucifixion, before the resurrection. But what Jesus is doing here is setting the stage to help his disciples understand the difference between a faith that's based on grief and one that's based on joy. He's describing the difference between a Good Friday kind of faith and an Easter Sunday kind of faith. He's describing the difference between a crucifixion faith and a resurrection faith. Consider for a moment a crucifixion faith. Look, it's important. (laughs) We need a crucifixion faith. We have to have one. Jesus went to the cross. He, He atoned for our sin by His death in our place. And His death satisfied the justice demands of God's righteousness. And in Him we are forgiven. Hallelujah! We are a people of the cross. We have a crucifixion faith. And so we put the cross at the front of our church to say this defines us. And yet, if all we have is a crucifixion faith, we get caught feeling like that's sort of the end of the story. It's not wrong. It's entirely accurate. It's not even heresy. We can't even burn anyone at the stake. It's just not complete. In our text, Jesus is describing the difference between these two, this crucifixion faith and this resurrection faith. And He's talking to disciples who see the cross coming and He's told them again and again, the Son of Man must be handed over, must be crucified. He told them He's leaving them. Where are you going? I don't know. Where's He going? How long is a little while? What does it mean He's going to the Father? The disciples are in this framework of a crucifixion faith, a place of grief. I mean, even just looking at where they're coming from. The disciples were losing their mission in the world. They were losing their purpose. Jesus is going away and we're saying, hold on. Jesus was the Messiah, at least we thought He was. Jesus was going to bring the kingdom of God, at least we thought He was. Jesus was going to throw off Roman oppression, at least we thought He was. Except now Jesus is going away. And they were losing their sense of mission in the world. Their purpose. Their reason to get out of bed in the morning. They were losing their mission. The cross was a reason for grief for those disciples. They were also losing their friend more than just a Messiah. They actually liked him. They loved Jesus. 
They walked with him and talked with him for years. There was a close, intimate relationship there between Jesus and his disciples. And they're asking all these questions. What do you mean we're not going to see you anymore? What does it mean you're going to the Father? Jesus was going to the cross. It wasn't just the loss of their mission. It was the loss of their friend, the loss of a relationship. The cross was a reason for grief for those disciples. And they were also losing heart. Because Jesus was their strength. He was their leader. He was the target of all the religious leaders' attacks. And he was the one who always had that that piercing, perfect question in response to their vitriolic entrapments. Jesus even says in our text, you will all be scattered. You're going to be afraid. You're going to lose courage. You're going to lose heart. The cross was a reason for grief. They didn't even have a category for thinking about the resurrection. It wasn't even in their wildest imagination. All they saw was that Jesus kept saying, I'm leaving now. All that was coming was a crucifixion. Now, I know we're on the other side of the crucifixion and resurrection, so we have the benefit of history and knowledge on our side. But it is still possible for us to have a crucifixion faith. If all you see is the cross, then all we've got is a story that has ended. A Savior who died for our sins, a Savior who went away. We have a faith that's based on a historical event. Jesus died for our sins. We have history, but no present, no future. Just that our sins have been forgiven. I say just. That's huge. But it's not all. But if our story ends with the crucifixion, we end up scattered each to our homes trying to figure out life with Jesus. And then Easter comes and we're like, so... And you put a big smile on your face and pretend that everything's great and you conjure joy by sheer force of will. But by tonight at bedtime, we're all exhausted from all this manufacturing of joy and we lie in bed rehearsing this mysterious refrain that says, Christ is risen. And we wonder what that even means for us. Maybe we've forgotten. Or maybe we never even knew. But Jesus Himself in this text, points us in the right direction. In this text, he's saying, you're not to have just a crucifixion faith. Jesus says, I want you to have a resurrection faith. Because the resurrection... See, this is not the end of the story, Jesus is saying. It is just the beginning. And this is a story where you end up with joy. Not because you've manufactured it. I mean, in the text, let me, let me unpack some of it for you and where this joy comes from as the resurrection leads us in this new beginning and this new life. First of all, we see that in this text, Jesus is saying that the resurrection is just the beginning of a new mission in the world. If we glance at verses 23 and 24, we find these words. In that day, Jesus says, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. What? There's a lot in here. Let's start here. In that day. 
Which day exactly, Jesus? In that day is a reference to after the crucifixion. In that day is a reference to the day of resurrection. In that day is a reference to that period of time after the resurrection where Jesus walked the earth again before His ascension. In that day is a reference to the coming age that He was inaugurating with His resurrection that includes the day in which we live today. A day where the Spirit of God is in our hearts and in our lives. In that day, Jesus says, you won't ask me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Oh, good! We now have the magic formula to get whatever we want from God. Right? Doesn't that sound like that? In Jesus' name, I'd like a zebra. No zebra. It doesn't work. This language is confusing and problematic. The key to understanding it is to understand how the Bible talks about name. Name, to ask in Jesus' name is not some magic incantation by which you can manipulate God, the great vending machine in the sky, to give you what you want. But rather... Even if you think through how the Old Testament uses the idea of the name of the Lord, it is the totality, the representation of God's character, His nature, His purposes, and His will. They say the name of the Lord is a strong tower. They're not actually talking about His his appellation. It's the complete representation of all that God is and what He's doing in the world. We say, trust in the name of the Lord. Not in the consonants and vowels that go together to structure something we might call Him. But in the totality of the representation of His character and nature. We say, the name of the Lord is to be praised, not because it's catchy and has a nice ring to it, but because it is the totality of the representation of all that God is and all that He's doing in the world. And so when this says to ask in Jesus' name, what this is really saying is to come into alignment with who Jesus is and what He's doing in the world. Oftentimes, uh, I send my children to speak to one another in my name. I'll say to one of them, go tell the rest of the kids to come down from su- for supper. Thump, 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 up the stairs. Thump, 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 down the stairs. They're not coming. Go tell them dad said so. Thump, 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 thump. <sighs> and down they come. There's, there's something to asking for something in dad's name. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Interestingly, the converse is also true. They can make demands in my name that are not aligned with my will. (laughs) Dad said, your time on the white computer is up. It's my turn. I get it now. I get to play Minecraft now. But if I didn't actually say that, oh, Nelly. (laughs) To speak in my name that which I have not willed. To speak in my name, to ask in my name only works when it is in alignment with who I am and my purposes in the world. That's what this text is inviting us into. This text, when when it says, ask and you will receive, 
What it's really saying is, here's my mission I'm giving to you, says Jesus. I want you to now do what I was doing in the world. He is conferring upon his disciples that which is consistent with his character and his purposes. It is not a get-what-you-want card from God. It's an invitation to participate in the mission of Christ in the world. And when you participate, what he's saying is that's where you'll find your joy. He's saying when you're aligned with who I am, says Jesus, when you're aligned with what I'm doing in the world, says Jesus, when you're doing the things I've asked you to do, there is a fulfillment that comes there from having purpose in this world. And you will find joy. You see how this is a faith that is more than just a crucifixion faith? A resurrection faith is not a story that ends, but it's a new beginning that says there's a new life opening up to us and it's a life on mission doing what Jesus did. Revealing the Father. Seeking and saving the lost. This is the first place joy comes from. A life of purpose. Of meaning. Because we're on Jesus' mission in the world. And that's just the first glimpse of joy we get. There's more. It's also the beginning of a new relationship with our God. Because the text continues. And we find in verses 26 and 27, again, in that day, Jesus says, you will ask in my name. And I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father Himself loves you. Because you've loved me and believed that I came from God. Now, I don't want you to miss what this is saying either. The Father Himself loves you. Let that sink in for a minute. Because what Jesus is about to do by going to the cross, He is about to reconcile humanity to God the Father. We will no longer need priests as mediators. We will no longer need animal sacrifices for atonement. We will no longer need any mediation at all. What we're going to get is direct access to the Father. The Father Himself loves us. We get direct access. That's not something we've had since the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the cool of the day, and then they screwed everything up by sinning. And because of sin, from that point forward, God had always been obscured by the cloud. God had always been hidden behind the curtain. God had always been inaccessible, safely, deep in the temple. But Jesus, dying for our sins, has fixed our relationship with Him. That takes care of our past. But more than just taking care of our past, we see a glimpse of what life is like going forward. He's saying God is right here. And God Himself loves you. You are loved. This idea of having a relationship with God that was broken and now fixed. Uh, a preaching team, uh, I was, it was brought to my attention that there's a form of Japanese pottery called kintsugi. 
And it's a way of dealing with pottery that has been broken. right? And broken pottery isn't good for much except to be thrown out. But in the hands of a master craftsman, a true artist, it can be repaired and restored. But not to its original form that you can't even tell that it was ever broken. But this particular form of restoration, this kintsugi, the repair is made with a resin that is actually mixed with gold dust. And then it is lacquered into and over months of application and and varnishing and application and sanding and polishing and application. And you end up with that which was broken being repaired in such a way that it gleams. The resulting pieces are spectacular. They are beautiful. And they're actually of far greater value than the original pottery ever was to begin with. The resulting piece is spectacular not because it was never broken, but because once it had been broken, it was repaired by the Master. You see, the crucifixion isn't the end We're not just forgiven for sin. We're not just forgiven because we broke the pottery. This isn't just an image of our broken lives being put back together. This is an image of our broken relationship with God being put back together and becoming even more valuable than it ever was before. This is what I mean when I say the Father Himself loves you. Jesus is saying... What I'm about to accomplish is going to give you access to life with God in a way that takes your brokenness and makes it beautiful again. And in this, you will find joy. This is the second place we find joy in this text as Jesus is framing what's about to happen, His death and His resurrection. He's saying... Not just am I going to give you a new mission, I'm going to renew your relationship with God and I'm going to make it beautiful again because you are loved. We find joy in having a new mission conferred upon us. We find joy in having a renewed relationship with God offered to us. We also see in this text the beginning of a new courage to face hardship. Our text ends in verse 33 where Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. This is really important. Because being a Christian, hopefully you've figured out by now that being a Christian does not mean everything goes well in your life. That once you pray the sinner's prayer, Everything's great. But hopefully you've also figured out, nor is our joy dependent upon everything going well in our lives. Jesus spends a lot of His time telling us, in this world you will have trouble. Throughout the Gospels, He says crazy things like, take up your cross and follow Me. That's not actually a fun-sounding proposition. Right here in this text, He's pretty much promised us trouble. The Christian life is not about ease of life. It's about quality of life. Following Jesus is harder 
but it's better because it's true. And Jesus says, don't you dare lose heart because I have overcome the world, He says. And this is the third place we find joy because in this text, Jesus is calling His shot, right? He's pointing to the stand saying, I'm hitting the home run right there and that's how I'm going to win the game. He's talking about the resurrection like it's already happened. I have overcome the world because nothing can stop it. Nothing can derail it. It's as good as done. He's telling them He's going to the cross. And then He's telling them that He's going to rise again. And then He does it. Jesus wins. Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how He told you? It's all true. Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He also rose again. And in so doing, He taunts death. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Even in our text, before it even happens, He's getting the disciples ready to have their minds blown. He's preparing them for a day where they will have more than just a crucifixion faith. A day is coming, says Jesus, when you will have a resurrection faith. And that is a faith that can face hardship and trouble because we have something so compelling, so secure, so vast and magnificent and hopeful. Something that so greatly outweighs the hardship and the suffering. We have life with God. Not just knowing our sins are forgiven. But knowing our life has purpose. That our God loves us Himself. And that Jesus has conquered sin and death forever. The resurrection is just the beginning of a new courage with which we can face hardship because we know that in the end, Jesus wins. So again, it's an odd text because it's all happening before the resurrection. An unusual choice for Easter Sunday to preach. But can you see what Jesus is doing in trying to frame what's about to happen for His disciples? And you see the invitation into that same frame that continues to be extended to us today? Jesus is in effect chasing His disciples away from just a crucifixion faith. A crucifixion faith that's the end of the story. But rather, Jesus is saying, no, no, that's not far enough. It's good. We'll still keep the cross at the front of the church. We're not taking it down. It's just not the full story. Jesus says, I'm offering you a resurrection faith. And that is a faith that is just the beginning of of what life with God now looks like. It is categorically different. It is not only focused on all we're doing wrong and how we've been forgiven and there's grief and mourning and wailing. 
it's also focused on life with God and beauty and purity and truth and an actual relationship with Him because our lives have purpose. We're on mission because we're loved by God and because Jesus wins. And what I'm proposing to you in all of that is this. If you are chasing after joy, you'll never find it. If joy is that thing you're chasing as the object of your pursuit, you will never find it. It's it's the kind of thing that if you're staring in this direction and a flash goes off just off to vision left and it leaves that purple reverse imprint on your retina. And so you shift your eyes to try and focus on it, but then the purple shifts. And you shift your eyes to focus on it, the purple shifts. And pretty soon you're walking in circles, chasing after something that you will never ever get. Nor is it something that is ever promised as the object of our pursuit anywhere in Scripture. What this text teaches us is that joy is the result of the pursuit of Jesus. Joy is the overflow of a life that is embracing a new mission in the world when Jesus says, go reveal my Father. Seek and save the lost. Minister to the least of these in my name. In my name, Jesus says, take up my mission. And you will find your life has purpose and you will find, not as the object of your pursuit, but as the overflow of it, you will find joy. He says, I'm opening a new relationship with God. I'm repairing the cracks with gold. You can know God. And the overflow of knowing God and being known by Him and that the Father Himself loves us, the overflow of that is joy. And a new courage is promised in light of the resurrection because we know that Jesus wins and no matter how crappy this life gets, our eternal destiny is secure because we're going to be with Jesus. Jesus wins And the result of that is a joy that is not dependent upon our circumstances. It's actually completely independent of our circumstances that no matter what this life throws at us, our joy is secure in the victory of Jesus. No one will take away our joy. See, a a crucifixion faith wants joy, but it's, it's more focused on how broken everything has become. And we are so grateful that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that forgiveness is there. But with a crucifixion faith alone, the joy is still broken. We're forgiven, but the pieces are still lying on the floor. And so we fake it. Or we pretend. Or we plaster a smile on and we come to church and we say, oh, God is good. And we try to get through another day. And man, does that get old. In John 16, Jesus is offering a different way. He's offering a resurrection faith that finds joy, but not by going after joy itself, but by going after Jesus. Living on mission, in restored relationship with Him, finding our courage. The joy is then the result. It is the overflow
And what's left is a life that is even more beautiful than it was before because it has been repaired by the master craftsman, the one who makes all things new. This Easter, don't even bother chasing after joy because joy is the result of a life chasing after Jesus. Don't let yourself stop with just a crucifixion faith that's just kind of glum because, well, we're sinners and Christ forgives us. Step into a resurrection faith that says our lives have purpose, our lives have value, and we can have courage. Jesus is saying, come join me in this resurrection life and let me resurrect you. And you will find joy as the overflow. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank You that even in a text like this, You demonstrate that You know all things. That You can frame the crucifixion and resurrection even before it happens. Demonstrates Your authority, Your power, Your foreknowledge, the fact that You alone are God. And we thank You that it's a message that continues to matter to us today. God, we do want joy. We're not like all eager to have a life of hardship and suffering. But we also are kind of tired of pretending and maybe tired of trying to manufacture it or conjure it on a, of our own volition. Into this space, God, reorient us to a resurrection faith. Remind us that our lives matter because we're actually on mission from you. Remind us that the Father Himself loves us. That we actually have a relationship that's been renewed. Give us courage to face hardship and trouble. Not as those who are defeated, but as those who are resurrected. Empower Your life in Your people. And let the overflow of that be pure joy. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.